0: Thank you. I am with EM Over Easy, and I'm joined today by Molly Estes and George Willis. Hey, everybody. My name is Molly Estes.
1: I'm clinical faculty at Loma Linda University in Southern California, and it's great to be on EM Over Easy. I'm looking forward to the conversation.
2: And I'm George Willis. I'm the Associate Program Director at UT San Antonio, and again, it is an absolute pleasure to be here for another opportunity on EM Over Easy.
0: Well, it's great to have you guys. And so today we're going to talk about imposter syndrome. And my hope is to talk about what it is and why it's important and really who is affected by it. I feel like there's a little bit more discussion recently about imposter syndrome than there has been in the past. And essentially, it's typically chronic feelings of self-doubt or fear of being discovered as an intellectual fraud or an imposter. It first came to my attention when I was in med school, and I felt this all the time. And then it was kind of funny to me to realize that it wasn't just me that was experiencing it, but other students in my class and other residents that I worked with and even other attendings. Like I had an attending when I was doing a family medicine rotation in my third year that actually had never heard of imposter syndrome, and I told him that I was doing... um, an outline for EM over Easy on the topic. And he was like, Oh, what's that? And I described what it was to him. And he said, Oh, so that thing I've been feeling for my entire career. And he's been in attending for about 15 years. So it definitely was interesting to see that it wasn't just me. So, what has your guys' experience been with imposter syndrome? And kind of, I know you work with a lot of students. So, have you seen it among students as well?
2: Oh, all the time. So, you know, I was the former medicine director at Maryland before I'm at, I was at my current job, and I actually talked about it a lot to my medical students. It's funny because a lot of people think that. Imposter syndrome is something that you experience as you get closer to becoming a doctor. But a lot of people experience it even at the beginning of medical school because they were in college and then they took the MCAT and then, you know, they did interviews and then they got into med school and then they were all excited and then they start med school and they're like, oh my gosh, I'm in medical school. The problem is, is that you don't really get to fully feel the the true, I guess, the, the imposter syndrome kind of persona because... Literally, the first day of medical school, you're like thrown into anatomy or biochemistry or pathophys or physiology. And it's just study after study after study after study. And you're like, okay, I'm learning stuff. But then when you get to the clinical side, again, (laughs) you experience imposter syndrome because you're actually talking to patients and touching patients. And the attending's asking you, what do you want to do? And it's all there. The knowledge is there, but you don't know what to do. And then fourth year, very, very common to feel like you're in that era of imposter syndrome because now you're so close to becoming a doctor. And you think back to how quickly medical school has gone. In your head, you're like, I just went through four years of medical school. But when, you, when you're in first year, you're like, oh my gosh, there's four years of medical school left. It's so long. And then when you get to the end, you're like, oh my gosh, I feel like I was started first year yesterday. Like, what is actually happening? I'm going to be a doctor in a couple of months or a couple of weeks or a couple of days or tomorrow or today. And you're like, I'm not ready for this. I do not know what I'm doing. What is actually happening? So a lot of the med students experience this. And and so one of the things that I, I tell them is medical school... You have this kind of what's the way I want to put it? So if you like were to plot medical knowledge or your knowledge base as medical school progressed, there's this kind of exponential curve that tapers off right around step two. And then you have this precipitous decline. So it's this self-perpetuating demise of knowledge that happens because you're going through interviews and then you have the quote unquote senioritis that happens. And then you start residency at the I'm going to say it, the dumbest point that you have ever been. And it's largely because you haven't been doing anything to stimulate your knowledge base (laughs) over the past three months or so. I tell them, look, you're going to be fine. You guys are literally going to be fine. That knowledge base comes roaring back so quickly and that that knowledge curve literally goes well past where you were. But, you know, the feelings of inadequacy and the feelings of not being a true doctor and the feelings of fraud that you're a fraud and we're going to discover you and all of that stuff really comes from within and it's something that we kind of work through throughout residency. It's interesting that that this is a topic that is talked about a lot in residency and in even attendings. Like we feel imposter syndrome. Even not just clinically like, you know, Molly and myself and, and a lot of us who are, you know, on the lecture circuit, you know, sometimes we feel imposter syndrome because we're lecturing to a world of emergency physicians and we're like, oh, my gosh, am I smart enough to actually talk to these people? Like, are they really going to listen to me and consider me the expert on what I'm getting ready to talk about? So what does it make you do? It makes you prepare more. (laughs) It makes you think, oh, I got to do a really good job. So you do a better job. So imposter syndrome can have its benefits, but it also can have obviously its drawbacks because there's there's a lot of real big talk right now with imposter syndrome and burnout and, and so on and so forth, which we'll get to a little bit more once we get a little bit more into the podcast.
1: I'm really glad that it is like this and so many other wellness issues were being much better as a medical community about talking about, right? So the research on imposter syndrome goes back 40, 50 plus years, but at least for emergency medicine, we only really started looking at our own specialty from a research standpoint back in 2016. I mean, it's really been a very recent thing. And just like we started the conversation saying, it's not like this is a new entity, I mean, pretty much any high-achieving individual in any high-pressured field would be able to tell you when you described imposter syndrome, oh, yeah, totally, have definitely felt that at some point. And what's even more fascinating is that even though a lot of the original research tended to imply that this was felt more commonly by women compared to men, by newer people in their career pathway compared to experienced people, as years go on, we're seeing that all of that's breaking down. So you can pretty much just accept the fact that if you have not felt imposter syndrome, you will at some point, and probably recurrently throughout your career, and that is okay. That is actually normal, you know, perinormal, normal-ish, at least at this point in the game. And so rather than seeing this as a disorder. We actually need to just recognize this as a pattern of feeling and behavior and figure out coping mechanisms that we can do in order to work our way through it. So cool. I am at least somewhat competent in what I do every single day. I know before I give my next lecture, I'm going to feel like I know nothing. When that happens, I am going to do X, Y, or Z in order to you know, be able to overcome those negative feelings and still perform according to my ability. It's just really a very interesting phenomenon that we've finally begun acknowledging, really, truly is pervasive in most of f- physicians, but also even outside medicine, too.
0: Yeah, definitely. So, you guys bring up a good point that, that in medicine in general imposter syndrome can be both a positive and negative thing and there are certain things that we can do to mitigate it being a negative thing and causing burnout so what are some of the things that we can do to to make it a little bit easier on ourselves when we do feel like what are some of those xyz things and what are there is there anything that we're doing in med ed to kind of alleviate some of those feelings i know for me one of the things that when i feel imposter syndrome I have very heavily leaned on my mentors, including Andy, to just remind me that, yes, I do know things and it's going to be okay. So I feel like having good mentors is just one of the things that we can do.
2: You know, one of the things that I try to tell people is that I don't really want to call it a positive or a negative thing about imposter syndrome. I kind of think about it as imposter syndrome is very physiologic. It's something that you're going to experience no matter what you're going into. As a matter of fact, I find the people who don't experience imposter syndrome to be on the, you know, this is getting to the end of the spectrum of arrogance. And those people tend to be the ones that I do not like to work with. (laughs) I had talked on this podcast before about the learnable moment and finding the learnable moment, which is that moment where the learner feels uncomfortable. And when they feel uncomfortable, it makes them want to either learn it or figure out why they haven't learned it yet to remember it. Because most of the time when you have that learnable moment as a learner, it's that experience, that kind of dopaminergic and a little bit adrenergic experience that you're feeling of, oh, my gosh, I know that and don't remember it and should remember it. Or it's something I haven't learned yet, but feel like it's something that's super, super important to learn. And so... I like to think about it as physiologic versus pathologic. And when it gets pathologic, it becomes pervasive. The literature, as, as Molly alluded to, was very prominently kind of skewed towards females. And a large, a large part of that had to do with the gender gap and, and a lot of gender bias. It was a self-perpetuating theme. As we know, a lot of medicine was very male-driven, very Caucasian-driven. And I, as an African-American male, experienced some of that kind of bias against me as well. And so when you have this already self-doubt And then you have someone who's telling you that you're inadequate or that you're not where you think you should be. All it does is just send you on this vicious cycle downwards. And then that's where you start to see the pathology start to to be pervasive. And so one of the things that was very good for me, as you alluded to, was to have a mentor who very much like what I talked about before to say, it's okay to feel inadequate. You are not an attending physician. (laughs) You are a resident. And as a resident, your job is to make mistakes. Your job is to make mistakes where I'm behind you as the attending or someone else is behind you as the attending to say, hey, so not this, but this and here's why. And it helps you get to that point in your learning and in your knowledge where you're like, oh, I totally understand that now. And so it gets that feeling of, I am inadequate, but it's okay. And that's the very, very important part of the mentor. It it doesn't really truly mean that you're inadequate because you are. You're not inadequate. You're completely where you're supposed to be. You know, there's people obviously who are, you know, have different deficiencies for different reasons, whether it be professionalism, whether it be medical knowledge, whether it be interpersonal skills, all the ACGME core competencies. But our goal as leaders in medical education is to help people get past those deficiencies. But this pervasive thought that if you don't do what I tell you to do in the way that you're supposed to do it, and you're not an attending physician, we're going to realize and we're going to kick you out of residency. no. (laughs) We're not going to kick you out of residency. That's dumb. Do you realize how much work that would be for us if we kicked you out of residency?
1: Also, we wouldn't have made it through if there was an option for us to get kicked out of residency when we didn't know what we were doing.
2: Exactly. (laughs) So there is no imposter like, you know, the, the imposter syndrome is you're not an imposter. We wouldn't have put you in a place. We've been doing this for a while. We wouldn't have put you in this place, in this position if we didn't think that you were capable of doing it. And so a lot of times you're just finding that mentor to kind of give you that positive re- reinforcement that it's OK. Here's some ways that you can help get past it. First off, you have to get over your own feelings of self-doubt and then you have to voice it. You have to voice What your feelings are, if you pin it up inside and don't have anybody to positively reinforce the positive feelings of the imposter syndrome, then you're just going to continue down that vicious cycle downward spiraling. So it's all about getting it out there that you're feeling these ways and how you can get better. And that's what the mentor is really important for.
1: I completely agree. I mean, I feel like most of these meta topics that we talk about on EM over easy all comes back to good mentorship. And that really is like the foundational part of so many aspects of your professional and life development. And I think when it comes to dealing with imposter syndrome, the problem that I really have with is the word imposter, actually, because that word really implies that you know that you're... Not adequate don 't know what you 're doing, faking it, blah bitty, blah, blah. It, it implies like culpability in the person who 's experiencing it, and so it reminds me of the uh, doctor Death story if anybody listened to that podcast or know of the story of you know the infamous neurosurgeon who straight up faked the fact that he could adequately perform surgery and royally messed up a whole bunch of people that is not what we're talking about. Like, That's the key component of imposter syndrome is that you might feel as if you aren't enough when in actuality you are. And so it's that disconnect between reality and what you're feeling that really good mentors, just like George said, can help you work through. And I think that another key component about all of this are things like This podcast episode, we're talking about this more, we are normalizing this experience as just a human experience. And the more that we can do that for each other, then the better equipped we are for being able to combat it when it is happening to us. Pretty much everybody, when they begin to feel imposter syndrome, immediately reverts to this state of catastrophization, right? So, okay, it's time to do the airway. Oh, man, this is a really difficult airway. Oh, man, I've only done a difficult airway in SIM before. Oh, man, this is a real-life patient. I've never intubated before. I have no idea what I'm doing, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And so the thing that we can begin to do for ourselves personally is de-escalating that very physiologic response before it becomes the pathologic response and realizing that there is a very appropriate level of questioning that goes into this career so i should question if that was the right medical decision or not that's the only way that we are able to self critique and get better but again the problem becomes if your questioning your healthy level of questioning of yourself and your actions begins to lead to a pathologic level of where i can no longer make a decision Or I can't function without having somebody standing over my shoulder, which very, very few people get to. We're always going to have, well, what if scenarios. That's just the nature of emergency medicine. We have to become okay with a certain level of uncertainty in order to perform well in this field. And the more that we can demonstrate healthy questioning to each other and to our trainees, the more that we can mentor each other through it, the more that we're there to support each other as a community then the better off we're all going to be.
0: Yeah, definitely. I think all of that was really great advice, especially for the med students listening. And really, like we said, for everyone, attendings, residents, myself included. I think we did a really good episode a while back about visualization. And I think that's another really good tool of just visualizing your success, visualizing when you're in that intubation, visualizing that you can do it, and visualizing when you're not in that emergent situation, taking the time to kind of think through that, that procedure. And this way, when it is crunch time, you're ready to roll. So I think that's another thing that we can do to kind of mitigate imposter syndrome when it starts to, like we said, blend into that pathologic state.
2: That's a really, really good point that you bring up about visualizing success, but I'm going to kind of piggyback on it and say, additionally, when you think about residency, even medical school, and a lot of us even as attendings, we oftentimes think when we're going through our shift, what are the things that tend to just invade our minds? And a lot of times it's, what did I do wrong today? It's never about what did I do right today? The fact that you caught that appendicitis in the patient with right lower quadrant pain, why? Because we expect that. <laughs> we're thinking to ourselves, oh, <laughs> I did my job. That's my job. I'm supposed to diagnose appendicitis. I'm supposed to diagnose a STEMI. And we don't celebrate the fact that, hey, we're here and we're able to catch these. We we accentuate, obviously, the zebras. Oh, my gosh, I just diagnosed this patient with acute intermittent porphyria. That's really cool. I haven't seen or heard of acute intermittent porphyria since I was a med student. What is this, an episode of House? Right. (laughs) But when you you diagnose the, the classic appendicitis or the classic kidney stone or the classic STEMI or the classic stroke, we don't say to ourselves, good job really, really good job. But God forbid we miss something or we you know, don't see the fact that the patient's sodium was 119 and we admitted it to a medicine floor and we're like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I just did that. Or I discharged this patient home and now I have to call them back. And we focus so much on the negative and it continues to invade our thoughts. And that just self-perpetuates again, that vicious cycle downward. By focusing on not just visualizing your success when, you ha- when you're having it, especially early in your careers, like med students, interns, but even once you start getting older and more experienced, celebrating those successes, when you're an intern and you see your first appendicitis, you're going to be like, yes, I diagnosed appendicitis. That's really awesome. That's the first time I've ever seen and diagnosed appendicitis. It's amazing. And it's an amazing feeling. And then when you do it again, you're like, oh, I've already done this already. <laughs> George, you're
1: getting all the snaps from me, okay? I love this whole idea of celebrating our routine successes. Like nobody can see it on the audio podcast, but all the snaps, preach it.
2: <laughs> so that's really important, and, and and I love rewarding myself. You know, when I, when I have a good shift, you know, a lot of people know who know me know that I just moved to San Antonio, and and you know, it's been an absolute complete celebration for me because now I'm seeing really really sick patients and I'm doing lots of procedures and things and and I'm teaching obviously but I'm teaching a hungry group of residents which is amazing. And so when I have these joys, I remember the first day that I came home from my shift and my wife was like, "So, how was it? You know, how was your shift?" And I was like, "I had so much fun today." And she's like, you haven't said this since you were a fourth-year medical student doing your first shift in emergency medicine. Like, that should tell you that you belong here. And and I truly have felt that way. But when I get in the car, I talk about what things that I want to do. And when I'm on my way home, I'm like, I got to do this. I got to do this. I got to do this. I don't focus on... Uh, man I had such a hard time admitting this person to medicine or oh, I couldn't get that shoulder re- shoulder reduced and I had to call ortho and and pull that trigger I focus on the good stuff I diagnosed that kidney stone I diagnosed that appendicitis and then when I get home and I go to bed and I wake up the next morning getting ready to go to work guess what I'm excited to go to work I'm like you remember what I did yesterday I did this I did this I did this let's go do it again and it's just a great day so I you know I didn't do that a lot you know at very early in my career but as i've gotten closer and closer you know on rob orman's em rap there was an episode on he talked to, on on that episode about when patients want to give us compliments what do we do oftentimes when patients want to give us compliments we just say okay you know hey can you tell the doctor that i just want to say thank you and you know the nurse comes and tells us thank you and we're like oh you're welcome and we just go on about our day but let us hear about a complaint We haul behind into that room, sprinting, sit down with the patient and say, oh, what can I do to make it better? What can I do? You know, why do you feel this way? You know, And we focus so much on that and then we feel bad about it. If we took the time to go talk to the patient and have them compliment us or, you know, talk about how they want to thank us for making the diagnosis or thank us for how they feel when they get discharged and stuff like that and really accentuate the positives of our job. (laughs) <laughs> it just totally strokes our wellness. And it's, it's really, really important.
1: I'm taking all of this to heart right now because so earlier this week I had a, a shift and I put in an art line and something went wrong. I have no idea what, what went wrong with this art line. Like to this day now, several days later, it's still been bothering me. I've still been thinking about it. I, I tried to troubleshoot it. I have no idea. It was in the vessel, blah, bitty, blah, blah, blah. George, I'm letting it go. I'm letting it go. I, I sat here and now I'm thinking about all the other things I did to write that shift. And you know what? It's fine. It's gone.
0: Well, this has been an awesome conversation. If each of you had one like take home that you want the med students to take home, what would it be from what we talked about today?
2: I guess I'll go first. Now, Molly, you go first.
1: <laughs> Put me on the spot. I would say... If I if I put myself back in training, what I would have wanted to hear, I would have wanted to hear that it is normal to feel this way. It's very normal. And it doesn't actually mean that you don't know what you're doing. It means that you have more to learn. We will always have more to learn. And guess what? That's actually exciting. So rather than seeing it as an inadequacy or rather than taking the old saying of fake it till you make it to heart instead just realize that everybody's experiencing it that every single time you feel like huh i don't know second guess whatever that's another learning opportunity and that means that you're actually going to be a better physician because of it
2: yeah i would say that as as learners not only do we have to recognize that it's there we have to recognize how to get past it and recognize that it's a normal physiologic feeling. It's the fight or fight, fight or flight response. So getting a mentor, talking through it, talk through your, you know, I, I, I tell people to find your wellness when I, when I talk about, you know, whenever a bad event happens or, or some, something occurs, what is your, where is your wellness? You know, my wellness is with my kids. And so I'll talk about it with my seven year old daughter who has no idea about medicine, but she'll just look at me and say, but daddy, you're still the best doctor in the world. And she'll give me a big old hug. And it, totally minimizes the inadequate feelings that I feel. So, you know, we all make mistakes. We have to get past this thought process that mistakes mean that we're bad. To err is human. The The enemy of good is perfect. It's one of my favorite Descartes quotes. So you can't chase perfection. You're going to make mistakes, learn from the mistakes, and that will just make you a better doctor. So focus on, finding the ways to minimize mistakes, but recognize that when you do make mistakes, you're not inadequate. You're not a bad doctor. You're inhuman. And so just learn that you're going to learn from that mistake and not make it again.
0: Well, George, Molly, thank you so much for coming on and chatting with us. I'm sure there's a lot more that we could talk about, but this was a great start. Thanks so much.